0: This is the Book of Life. A podcast that uncovers life lessons from Judaism's most important book. Helping you power your day with purpose. Here is Ruchi Koval. Sometimes I bite off more than I can chew. When I was little, my grandmother used a Yiddish expression on me. Greissa Eugen. Literally, it means big eyes, because I'd inevitably look at the table whenever we were having a Shabbat or holiday dinner together and fill up my plate thinking I would eat it all and end up getting too full and only finishing half. My eyes were bigger than my stomach. Many of us have Greisa Eugen when it comes not just to food, but to commitments. We want to do it all. We want to say yes to everything. At least I do. And then we start to feel full and overwhelmed and overcommitted and burned out and run out of steam and end up disappointing people, including ourselves. Judaism teaches us to be kind, to be leaders, to say yes, to step up. So sometimes we can be guilty of poor limit setting and having a hard time saying no what to do. Our sages teach us, say little and do much. Or in other words, try to undercommit and overdeliver. See, the solution is not necessarily that we should do less, but that we should commit less. In general, Judaism, and the Torah for that matter, is big into word frugality, that we should be careful with our words, parceling them out with thought and precision. The Torah teaches that a verbal commitment, a promise, is very serious and can even have serious legal ramifications. Many people follow a Jewish practice of saying the Hebrew words beli neder when they make a verbal commitment, which means without making any promises. They're making it clear up front that it's tentative, that they're being cautious not to promise, because promises are serious and must be kept. The Torah contains stories of two people. One who's a shining example of undercommitting and over-delivering, and one who's a rotten example of the opposite: overcommitting and under-delivering. First, the hero. The Torah relates the story of Abraham, who, at the age of 99, had just undergone circumcision. Ouch. Abraham was a man of unusual hospitality who loved to have guests, but God made it especially hot that day in the Middle Eastern desert to discourage guests so Abraham could heal. But Abraham was disappointed that no one came by, so God decided to send over three angels in the guise of guests. So Abraham, three days post-op, when anyone else would have been lying in bed with Netflix and some nice painkillers, jumped up to greet his guests. He says, My Lord, if I find favor in your eyes now, please pass not away from your servant. Let some water be brought and wash your feet and recline beneath the tree. I will fetch a morsel of bread that you may sustain yourselves. Then go on in as much as you have passed your servant's way. So what's Abraham actually committing to here? Bread? Water? Water? and rest under his tree. Relatively modest commitments. Pretty sure even I could offer my guest bread and water after surgery. But what does he actually do? The story continues. Abraham hastened to the tent to Sarah and said, Hurry, three seahs of meal, fine flour, knead and make cakes. Then Abraham ran to the cattle, took a calf, tender and good, and gave it to the youth who hurried to prepare it. He took cream and milk and the calf which he had prepared and placed these before them. He stood over them beneath the tree and they ate. What did he deliver? Milk and meat. Don't worry, not together. Freshly baked cakes. Friendship and company. And that's why he wins the Jew of the Year award. Undercommit, overdeliver. Over deliver. That's the recipe. A few years later, Abraham encountered a man who did exactly the opposite. So Sarah, his beloved wife of many decades, had just passed away, and Abraham sought a burial place for her. He came to a field with a cave that he deemed appropriate and started to ask around, and learned that the man who owned the property was named Ephron, and that he was a pretty important guy in the community of the nation of Chet, Abraham approached him, offering to purchase the land and the cave. Abraham said, Ephron, please let me buy your field and cave to bury my wife. Ephron answers immediately, oh no, Abraham, please, it's a gift from me to you, the field and the cave. Take it for free. But Abraham, in an extremely wise move, refused to take this offered gift for free. He wanted to pay for his share in the land of Israel, openly and with no confusion. So he responded, Rather, if only you would heed me, I give the price of the field. Accept it from me that I may bury my dead there. What's Ephron's counteroffer? My lord, heed me. Land worth 400 silver shekels between me and you, what is it? Bury your dead. In sum, he says, okay, fine. I won't give it to you for free. I'll overcharge you to the tune of hundreds of silver shekels, far more than it's worth. Wow, Ephron, that was a pretty quick turnaround. Talk about overcommitting committing and under delivering. So, Here you have two men negotiating a contract, Okay, one of whom says little and does much, and one of whom says much and does little. It becomes pretty obvious who the good guy is in this story. But in our own lives, things can get a little murky. In our own lives, it becomes easy to be a little more like Ephron than we'd care to admit. Why are people so tempted to overcommit? We often voluntarily say things like, I swear I'll be there even if we're not totally sure we will, or to RSVP for events while we're totally ambivalent or sure we're not going, and to make it sound like we're participating in a vacation or party that we have no intention of participating in. Why? I think there are two reasons. One a little more complimentary than the other. First, the good. I think deep down, many of us really want to be the kind of person who volunteers, who attends all our friends' events, who shows up when asked. We even think of ourselves as those kinds of people. We have grace Eigen big eyes, towards ourselves. So in our eyes, we're bigger than we really are. We almost commit as an expression of the person we want to be but real life doesn't quite pan out that way, and we end up disappointing people, leaving them in the lurch, understaffed, and with too many leftovers. The day of, we cancel apologetically with texts like, so sorry, can't make it, something came up last minute. The other reason is less glamorous. I think some of us like to be thought of by others as that helpful friend. We talk about the commitments, the volunteering, the involvement to make ourselves look kind of good. And even if we do deliver, it's good to try and be humble about all the good things we do and to try and squelch the need to tell others all about them. Admittedly, this is hard. We all like an boy or girl every now and then, with a solid pat on the back for our achievements and good deeds. And that's okay. Everyone likes appreciation and validation. It's fine to get it, but we should try to wean ourselves off needing it. Rabbi Avigdor Miller, who was a writer, author, and lecturer of the 20th century, created a list called 10 Steps to Greatness. Here's his third step. Every day, do one act of kindness that no one knows about in secrecy. Have intention beforehand that you are doing this in order to fulfill your program to greatness. The practice of doing acts of kindness, called Gemilut Chasadim in Hebrew, is one of the most important functions in the world. The beauty of this teaching is in its privacy, the doing and not the talking, the under-committing and the over-delivering, the filling yourself up with actions and not words, the big deeds and not just big words or, as my bubby would say, big eyes. This is the Book of Life don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe to Momentum Podcasts on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast. Join Ruki again next time for more meaning and inspiration from Judaism's most important book, To Power Your Day with Purpose. You're listening to a Momentum Podcast. For unlimited inspiration, wisdom, and empowerment, Visit MomentumUnlimited.org.